how many of you guys like enjoy listening to music in the car? Any music listeners? I'm a podcast person myself. I'm not a big per music person in the car. But if you listen to a song and you're getting down to the end of the song, does it not bug you if you don't get to hear the end? Like the song has to resolve itself. Like if the emergency weather comes on, like right before the good part of the song, you're like, oh man, I know it's bad weather, just let me hear the end of the song. Or the kids start talking during the best part of the song. Yeah, that's a little annoying as well. Or like it's time to get out and you've got to go somewhere and you've got to shut the car off and you can't hear the end of the song. All of those things. It's just like, I need that resolution. Like I'm sitting here hanging on the edge waiting. That's the best way that I can explain kind of where we are at this point in our passage in Revelation. The world is waiting and yearning for the return of Christ. We see the evil and the wickedness in this world, and the world is just waiting for God to come back and make all things new. The Christ who was born at Bethlehem the Christ who walked the dusty shores of Galilee, the Christ who hung naked on the cross, buried, rose again, and has ascended to glory, that Jesus, that same Jesus, is coming again. He will return. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus to come, and what a glorious time it will be. We're living between those two mountain peaks, the time of his first coming and the time of his second coming. We're here in the middle. We called that the church age. We talked about that the, the first week. We are waiting for his return. We are on a collision course with destiny. And we know that the Lord, the King, is coming. And we cannot afford to be ignorant. We cannot afford to be indifferent as we wait for the soon coming of the Lord. And we said in our first, first week, and I want to continue to point back to this, this phrase because I want it to stick in your heart as we you know move on beyond this series in a few weeks um, but the the phrase is sorrow looks backwards we look back at things in life with sorrow worry looks all around we turn on the news and we get worried about everything happening in this world you hear the, the inflation and the economy and the crime and worry looks around but hope looks up Hope looks up. We have hope because we know that our Lord is going to return. So let me kind of, we're going to really skip forward in Revelation today. Let me, I'll explain to you why here for just a moment. Last week, you know, the first week we kind of gave you an overview of Revelation. We looked at the rapture of the church of believers, all of us being raptured out. Then in week three, Bill looked at the worship in heaven. We continued that last week as our worship in heaven. While we are worshiping in heaven, there are a lot of events taking place on this earth. A lot of terrible events that we as believers will not be a part of, thank goodness, because we have been raptured out to heaven. The next part that we come into play is skipping forward all the, all the way to Revelation chapter 19. And that is the second return of Christ that we're gonna look at today. And I'm going to define that here for us in just a few moments, a little bit more after we read our passage. But if you want to know more about those awful, wicked events that are taking place on this earth, go read Revelations chapter 6 through 18. There's a lot there 
that's going to talk about the, the, what happens on this world. But we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11 this morning. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he was a name, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now as we think about the king coming today, I want to look at, we're going to kind of dig into this passage we just read and kind of pull it apart and try to explain what we just read this morning. And I, there's several things I want us to see in this really glorious passage of the second coming of our King. And that is, how is Jesus coming? How will he return? We're going to see that. He's going to return visibly, as it says in this passage. You know, there are those that really try to spiritualize the coming, the second coming of Jesus as some event in history or perhaps when a soul dies that Jesus comes and takes him back to heaven. And that's the extent of Jesus' second coming. No, that's not, that's not what we just read. That's not what scripture says. The apostles there on the Mount of Transfigurations heard the angels say, this same Jesus, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, you remember at the end of our famous last word series, we looked at this passage. It said, this same Jesus that is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner. You have seen him go into heaven. We find in Acts 1, verse 10, it says, While they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. He will have a visible physical return to this earth. You know, there are really two aspects. Sometimes people get confused with the, the second coming of Jesus. They, they get confused with the rapture and the second coming. You know, the, the, the rapture was Jesus comes to take his bride, which is us, the church, back to heaven with him. He's going to rapture us up. We will be in heaven with him. The second coming is when Jesus comes to rule and reign on this earth. That is the difference between the, the two. Here at the end of the church age, you see the rapture, the church caught up. And there in glory, we have the, you know, as you look in Revelation there, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that great time of celebration, that great time of worship that we looked at the last two weeks. And this great tribulation will be happening down here on earth. And then our Lord is going to come, and this is the point right about where when Jesus comes with his church in great power and great glory. It's the point at the end of the song that the earth is waiting for, 
It's waiting for all things to be made new and right. Jesus may come and rapture us home at any moment. The beautiful thing of that is, is that we will not have to experience that great tribulation happening here on earth. If you don't learn anything else from the study on the book of Revelation, learn this. Let me hammer it down. Jesus may come at any moment. At any moment. This may actually be the last time we meet together as Bethel Community Church. Because Jesus could come at any time. Matt, or Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I would say the world's pretty unaware right now of Jesus. Pretty unaware. So we're eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and they knew not until the day. And the second thing, so we're going to see here, we saw that he's going to come visibly. He is going to return, this passage we read in Revelation, that he is going to return visibly for all the world to see. Not only is he going to return visibly in power and great glory, but he's going to come victoriously. Let's read again verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now this is one that John beholds on a white horse coming visibly as the one who is also coming victoriously. And I want us to look at kind of the, the picture of the victory that's going to happen here when Jesus comes back uh, to this earth. You know, I want us to see first his, the mastery of his conquest. He's riding on a white horse. This, the sim symbolism of the white horse is one coming to conquer, to regain the earth that he has lost. He is going to ride into Jerusalem on that white horse as a conquering king to sit upon his throne as ruler of this earth. So not, is, not only is he going to come in his conquest, we see here the mystery of his character. And I, I, I find this very interesting. Let's look here again at verses 11 and 12. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Description of Jesus there. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. It's an interesting part. He has a name written that no one knows. Where do we find that else in Scripture? Philippians 2.9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Name above all names. What is that name? Well, we know him today as Jesus. That's how we know him. But friend, there is a mystery about him that you will never, ever understand. 
until that mystery is revealed in the glory of heaven. He is the highest of high. He is far above anything our minds could ever fathom. So we see the mastery of his conquest. We see the mystery of his character here that has not been revealed to us yet. And we're also going to see the majesty here of his coronation. He has on his head many crowns. The word there in the passage is diadem, which is a victor's crown. It is the regal crown of a king that a king would wear. But he ha- doesn't have just one. He has many. Why? Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. No longer does he wear a crown made of briars, of thorns, but he wears a crown of diadems. So we see the majesty of his coronation. It's so wonderful to look at, to to parallel and look at the difference between his first coming and his second coming. His first coming, coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Second coming, coming in on a white horse. The first time coming to be the sacrifice for our sins. The second coming, coming to be the conquering king of the world. The the first coming, he wore a crown of thorns. The second coming, he wears a crown of diadems. But we're going to see here also this picture is the ministry of his crucifixion. Because it says that he has a robe dipped in blood. This is the reminder of Calvary, that of his precious blood. Jesus Christ wears forever an emblem of his sacrifice on Calvary. And thank God for the ministry of of his crucifixion. That we are able to be overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. And so when Jesus comes, not only will it be visibly, but it will be victoriously. There will be no one that will be able to challenge him. The devil will try, but he will fail. He will be victorious. So what is the hope of this world? Is there a hope? Is there a hope for this world? Yes, there is a hope, but I tell you that the hope is not in science. Science is not the answer. Science has made the world a neighborhood, but not a brotherhood. The late great Vance Havner used to say, civilization is like a chimpanzee with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. That's a great way to think about our world today, of the the craziness of our world that at any time, Something could just go off the rails. So that's the situation we're in. So we're scientifically, we're in the graduate school, but morally we are in kindergarten. Science is not the answer. Politics is not the answer. No politician, no matter how great they are, is ever going to deliver us. Does not matter how great that politician is. Social reform is not the answer. It's not going to save the world. You, sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, why are, you know, why are preachers so pessimists when it comes to social reform or, or politicians or things of that nature? Do you not believe that, that we can change the world? I would say, you know, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a glowing optimist because I know the only one who can change the world. 
There is only one who changes the lives of people. There is only one who changes a community, and that is Jesus Christ. Any kind of reform apart from him is only temporary and ultimately shows to be worthless. Jesus Christ is the only one. Any other kind of change is only rearranging the deck of chairs on the Titanic. So we're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come again. The answer to this world's problems are, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the return of Jesus. There is no other policy, there is no other reform, there is no other socioeconomic thing that we can do on this earth that's going to save it apart from Jesus. He is the one. He is coming visibly. He is coming victoriously. And last of all, and sometimes people don't like to hear this, he is going to come vengefully. Now, people don't like the idea of vengeance. They don't like the idea of Jesus coming in a idea of vengeance. But that's what the passage says here. They think that God is you know, un-American if he judges sin. There are people who say, well, you know, God is too good to punish sin. Don't ever say that God is too good to punish sin because God is holy. His holiness is his most, most sought-after characteristic. It is the one that he treasures the most. That's why God had to send Jesus to this earth was because of our sin. We could not be in a right relationship with the holy God apart from Jesus. So God said in Deuteronomy 32, 35, it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let's read this passage at the end of Revelation again. It says, And the armies of heaven, armed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I like that passage because you know, some people have said, well, does God actually have a tattoo on his thigh? You know, I mean, it says there he has a name written you know, on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So you know, I, I don't know, but I guess that would be one way of looking at it. Some people have said, you know, Pastor, I, I look at God as a, a God of love. He is infinite love, perfect love. Yes, he absolutely is. But as we see in this scripture, he is also a God of wrath. He is also a, a God of wrath. Now, if you preach the love of God to the exclusion of the, of the wrath of God, you miss the whole gospel. The gospel is the two combined. God is of love. And if you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you want mercy, you may have it. But I'm telling you, surely as my name is Robert Hodges, if you refuse the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you choose not to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you turn from his longing hand that is reaching out to you and saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If you reject that, if you ignore that, if you spurn that, if you deny that, and I don't say this with malice, you're going to face the wrath of God. God has made a way of salvation possible 
for every single person who has ever walked the face of this earth. No matter how rich, how poor, no matter what country you're from, no matter your intelligence, he made it so simple, so easy. It's a free gift. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not multiple ways up the mountain to get to God. There's one, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is all. So let me give you another scripture that parallels this. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, the Apostle Paul said, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming vengefully to make all things right. So many times, things are not made right in this world. We see it. Justice is not done. Wrong seems to prevail. Wrong is on the throne, and it feels like truth is abandoned. It will not always be that way. He is the righteous judge, and he will make it right because of his holiness, he must make it right. So Jesus is coming back visibly. As surely as he was here the first time, Jesus Christ is literally, actually, visibly, boldly coming back to this earth to redeem it. What a wonderful time that will be. You see, well, Pastor, I think I need to, I think you need to to spiritualize that a little bit. Did you know that there were those who missed the first coming of Jesus because they tried to spiritualize it? They did not believe the prophecies of the Old Testament and they missed, can you imagine Jesus being on this earth and you missing it? Can you imagine those people in the first century, who later became followers of Christ that maybe lived in Galilee or Jerusalem, who said, eh, I don't think he's the Christ. I don't think he's Jesus. Can you imagine later as they became a follower of Christ to look back and think, man, I was so stupid in my 20s. Jesus Christ was actually here. I grew up in his hometown. And I missed him. I missed him. Jesus will literally come back. People miss the first coming of Jesus because they did not believe. And there will be people who will not believe, but they will not miss his second coming. Why? Because he will not come as a babe in a manger. He will come as a conquering king. And as we looked at last week, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He will not be missed the second time. So as we end this, what do we do with this passage? We can look forward to it, obviously, with great hope. That's what I want us to look forward to, knowing that this wicked world is not the end. But we should look for his coming. We are not waiting on some prophecy to be fulfilled. There is nothing that has to be fulfilled for Jesus Christ to come back. We need to be looking for Jesus at any time moment at any time looking up rather than looking around 
We need to be looking up and praying, God, please come back. Please take us home out of this wicked world. Looking for his coming. We need to be longing. We are to long for his coming. The last prayer in the Bible, Revelation 20 to 20 says, Even so, come Lord Jesus. It's the last words of the Bible. It's begging Jesus to come. Come. Come take us out of this world. You know, if you've ever prayed that model prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you long for the appearing of Christ? I can hardly wait to see my Lord. What a wonderful day it will be. But until that time, we don't know how long he will tarry before he comes. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be a year. It could be a decade. We do not know. We need to, it says in verse 13, we need to occupy. We need to occupy. It says we need to, the verse says we need to live for his coming. Until he comes, we are to occupy. How do we occupy this world? We live our life to the honor and to the glory of God. Every moment of every day. Are we going to fail? Absolutely. We're going to fail. We're going to sin before holy God multiple times a day. I'm guilty of it. My son, my daughter in here, just ask them. They'll tell you all the times I fail. It's regular. But we are to occupy living our life to the honor and glory of God so that the world around us sees that there is something different about us. We live differently. We are to live pointing people to Jesus. That is occupying. We need to look for his coming. We need to long for his coming. And we need to live for his coming. Imagine if Jesus were to come today. How would you spend your last hours before Jesus Christ raptures us home? Think about that. What would you want to be doing when Jesus Christ comes and takes us home? That's how you need to be living your life. For his honor and for his glory. Let's pray.